Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Combine, and in order to make it a little more easily digestible, we're going to break this into two separate shows: one for the offense, one for the defense, and we're going to kind of do it relatively informal. Uh, we're just going to go position by position and, and kind of rotate, uh, bringing up storylines at, at each position. So let's get right into it. Without further ado, let's start with the quarterback, Shane. Uh, and, and I think obviously, first thing you got to talk about is the two big quarterbacks, uh, Jameis Winston from Florida State and Marcus Mariota from Oregon, both worked out, which we don't always see. A lot of times the top quarterback prospects opt to to wait until their pro day to perform in front of scouts, but both Winston and Mariota stepped up to the challenge. And uh, just in terms of their on-field performance, Shane, I I think both did really good, and Winston in particular stood out to me. Just just looked like a natural. Uh, He looked so comfortable in what was a pretty high-pressure situation, but – uh, it had one of the strongest arms in attendance, and, and that, that's what I was told, at least when they measured the mile per, miles per hour. He was right there near the top, showed off the very strong arm. He could make all the throws, uh, good accuracy, but even within accuracy, the ball placement, which is somewhat you know an, an underrated detail of accuracy, I think. He put the ball where it was supposed to be. And the other thing I noticed with Winston, too, is, is how his teammates just kind of – or not his teammates, excuse me, the other players – in his group, kind of gravitated towards him. He was kind of the Pied Piper. Uh, he was kind of in the middle of the action, it seemed, uh, keeping everything light. And I think that says something about his charisma, his leadership. And, and we'll get into the, the, the interviews and stuff in a moment. But, but I, I think both Winston and Mariota performed very well in the workouts. The difference is Mariota wasn't going to be able to answer the questions we have about him in a workout setting. Uh, it, 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 he's just not gonna. The, the questions people have is how he's gonna be able to run a pro style system, and you can't do that in shorts. Whereas with Jameis Winston, he could answer the questions people had about him off the field in those interviews and meetings that we're gonna talk about in a minute. But uh, uh, what's your impression, Shane, of Winston Mariota just from their on field performances in Indy? Well, I thought both did, did well. I think both looked good, and hopefully, this is kind of a rallying cry for quarterbacks to work out at the combine because I don't think either of them hurt themselves. And I thought, if anything, both of them look good passing the football. Uh, Mario obviously had uh, very good workouts in terms of the numbers. We already knew that going in. But, hey, if you you get a quarterback who runs a 4-5-2-40 time that has uh, a really nice 10-yard split, you got to like getting that. Now, I thought Winston definitely shined in the throwing drills, throwing the ball down the field. Uh, to, to me, the combine, when you're throwing to receivers that you don't normally work with or haven't even had practice time like the senior bowl has, 
it's about that arm strength. You know, can can he get the ball down the field? How quickly does the ball get there? And I thought that's where Winston really shined on those deep passes where he was he was showing off the big arm that he had and what he could do in the pocket, what that upside is. And I think he absolutely salivated over that. I thought Mariota did well in that category as well. So I, I was impressed with both of them. I, I, I don't think it changed my grade of either one or made me uh, definitely rise one more above the other. Um, but it, it, for for both of these players, what's what's going to be more important from the combine happened behind closed doors with NFL teams was Jameis Winston answering questions about that his maturity and Marcus Mariota maybe answering questions on that whiteboard and going over through some more pro-style offensive type of, of tactics with teams, what that entails. So uh, maybe that's the stuff that really is would, would change any grades. But for me, I like both of them. And I thought they both did a phenomenal job at the Combine. Well, let's talk about the off-field aspects uh, with Winston Mariota. And, and first, I suppose we should clear the air. There was a report that maybe there was some question about the health of Winston's throwing shoulder. Uh, they sent him for a closer look and some more tests. But uh, by all accounts, it came out just as normal wear and tear for a guy who's played both baseball and football and nothing to be concerned about. So I think that's important to note. Uh, Mariota, I mean, to nobody's surprise, he was really impressive in, in an interview setting. Uh, I don't think anybody expected anything different. He's a, a, a great young kid, impeccable intangibles. Like I said, that wasn't a question. The only the, the only way Mariota can answer his questions is by running an NFL-style offense, and we're not going to get to see that until uh, the summer, well after the draft. But, but Winston, Winston had a lot to gain by the interview process, especially since this is the first time some of these big decision makers were going to get it get to, to sit down and talk with Winston and look him in the eye and, and, and form their own opinions about him. A guy like Lovey Smith, I'm sure that was probably the first time he met Winston. Certainly in depth was at the scouting combine. And by all accounts, Winston was very impressive in the, the, the meetings with teams. And uh, I think anybody who saw the mock interview he did on NFL Network with Steve Mariucci can see why he was so impressive, uh, not only communicating with the interviewer, but also up on the whiteboard, uh, retaining information, uh, uh, regurgitating the plays. Uh, just, just was real impressive. And a charismatic young man. Uh, I, I think he came off as a, a leader. And, and I believe it was uh, Peter King of the MMQB had in his Monday uh, Monday morning quarterback call him that the 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 feel that he got from NFL people after meeting with Winston was that he's not necessarily a bad kid he's just immature and and I think that's the 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 question we had all along but uh, it was kind of confirmed with with his performance if you will uh with those uh decision makers and 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 these teams so Winston I think I already thought he was going to be the number one overall pick to the Buccaneers before the scouting combine, but I think he definitely strengthened his grip on that. Now, is it a, is it right down ink locked locked up? No, 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 not yet. But I think he took a big, big step closer to to emerging or solidifying himself as the number one overall pick in the 2015 NFL draft because he's the total package on the field, and if they're comfortable with him off the field, it's an easy decision, Shane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm with you. I think the combine kind of cemented for me that Winston's probably going to go number one. Uh, I, I think I think I kind of changed my thoughts as I was waffling between the two, and this this was the time for that decision to be made. If we would have heard that Mariota was super impressive to Tampa Bay and they they kind of fell in love with him, I could see that as well. Um, and you know, I, I think I think when you look at both of these quarterbacks on the field, Winston is the better player right now. Maybe Marcus Mariota has better potential when you look at the workout numbers and the size and what he can do. So I couldn't argue with a team that, that decides to go either way. You just have to be feel comfortable with what you can mold these guys into. And if I was a coach, I'd feel more comfortable with Winston on the field and Mariota off the field, and that's what makes it such an intriguing discussion uh, between these two players. Well, let's, uh, let's move say, on. We'll talk about some of the other quarter. Yeah. I was just sorry to jump in. I was just going to say quickly, too, before we we move on from Winston and Mariota, we should probably note uh, both of them came in at 6'3 three and 3 quarters. Uh, Mariota was 222 pounds. Winston was 231. So Winston wasn't morbidly obese. Uh, like uh, it, it was a 
uh, on tw- like that picture that was going around on Twitter. Uh, Mariota ran a four five two, and Winston ran a four nine seven. I I think that's about what we expected. Uh, and honestly, I, I tweeted out on I, I sent on Twitter a picture of the ten fastest. 40 times by quarterbacks, and it's not a very illustrious list, so you can take that with a grain of salt, I think, and I don't know that it matters that Mariota ran really well or that Winston maybe ran an average time, but um, just in case people are wondering what they, the measurables were, there you go. Well, let's talk about the next guy up, because I think that's that's what the the other talk of the combine is. Okay, well, who is who's definitely going to be next after Winston and Mariota? And I think the name uh, of Brett Hundley is who most of us expect to be that third quarterback off the board, and he worked out as well. There's some questions of if he wouldn't work out after uh, after not going to to the Senior Bowl when he had that opportunity, et cetera. But he came in at six three and a quarter, 226 pounds. Ran uh, four six three, so another another quarterback with with really good athletic ability, thirty uh, six inch vertical jump, etc. Helmley was at the top of most of these workout numbers at, at a pretty darn good size too. So, um, how how did you feel about Brett Hunley and what he did at the combine, Scott? Um, did did he? help himself at all? Did he hurt himself at all? Does he put him... I, I'm kind of having trouble placing Brett Hundley in this draft because I could see him going in the middle of the first round if, if Mariota and Winston go high. And, and I think at the combine, you could look at the numbers and say, well, he's he's a player with a lot of potential. But I don't know if he showed me anything that I didn't already know. I don't think he showed me that he was uh, a polished quarterback that I would feel comfortable plugging into my starting lineup from day one. And, and to me... That's not really worth a first-round pick right now. Well, and Brett Hundley, I think, needed to have a, a strong showing and a good workout because so much of his value is placed upon his his physical tools and his upside. Because I think if you watch the tape, I, I wouldn't argue with somebody who put a second-round grade on him. I wouldn't argue with somebody who put a fourth-round grade on him. And I kind of think that's his range in the draft, and I tend to think it'll be more towards the higher end of that simply because he's just so much more enticing and has so much more potential than the other quarterback options beyond Winston and Mariota. But he's kind of in a similar situation to Mariota in that he couldn't really answer the concerns people have about him in a workout setting. That's why I think he made such a miscalculation by bypassing that senior bowl opportunity. Uh, so Hundley had a good workout, but I think that was par for the course for him. I think the bar was already set pretty high, so nobody was blown out of the water. He did what he was supposed to do and what he had to do to, to keep himself in contention to be that third quarterback off the board. I think he's probably battling Bryce Petty from Baylor and uh, it, it it's going to be interesting to see where Hundley goes. And we, I think we've seen in recent years, Shane, all bets are kind of off when it comes to quarterbacks. Teams will do crazy things when it comes to that position, uh, whether it be Christian Ponder going 12, number 12 overall or whatever. Could somebody trade back into the first round and try to get Hundley late in round one? I, I wouldn't rule it out. Crazier things have happened. But um, like I said, I, I think that will be based much more on his potential than uh, the, the film because the film is extremely inconsistent to say the very least. And and I think it goes the other way for quarterbacks, too. Yes, we've definitely seen quarterbacks go way higher than they should. But I think you look at last year where we were trying to come up with that quarterback that was going to sneak into round one or the A.J. McCarron or, or someone that was going to go higher than we expected, and, and it just didn't happen. Uh, so I think teams could also go that other way, and that's why I think Hunley is so intriguing. As you said, I don't know if the combine really answered many questions for him, but he, he didn't, it sure didn't hurt himself having a great workout. If you're supposed to be a great workout player, and that's kind of the basis for, for what you are and what your potential is, you can't let down from that. And I don't think guys like Hunley and Mariota let down at all from our expectations of them. Well, and we'll do kind of a lightning round here on uh, the final handful of quarterbacks. And, and, and to me, the guy who's who's kind of got some momentum right now is Brian Bennett from southeastern Louisiana. Small school guy, obviously, he transferred from Oregon. And a pretty good performance. I think he showed his potential. And technically, I think he was at the scouting combine as one of the throwing quarterbacks. But I think he has people intrigued. And, and this is another case where if you're in the sixth or the seventh round, would you rather take a chance on Brian Bennett and, and his physical tools and his upside or are you going to roll the dice on somebody that might like Connor Halliday from Washington State, let's say, or Shane Carden from East Carolina, who might max out as a career backup? 
I, I just think Bennett's upside potential is going to have teams intrigued, and I, I almost think he's going to get drafted now, especially in this class where there just are not many enticing options after those those big two. Maybe you can expand it to three or four, but uh, quarterback's one of the weakest positions in this draft, and I just think it's round six, round seven, you're looking for a developmental signal caller. I think Brian Bennett's going to look pretty enticing. And and he's a player with with the, also having that pedigree going into college, obviously a, a rocky career and at the college level. But yeah, he, he I thought he had some good throws with that combine. I thought he had some throws that were off the mark, and he had some that really flashed as good as the top two guys. So, uh, to me, that's what I what's what you want. Uh, not every throw is going to be perfect combine. So if you can flash some of that huge potential, I think it's worth drafting. I, I think Brian Bennett is is a draftable player. Well, even though, like we say, you always got a caution, he completed less than 50% of his passes as a senior, which isn't what you look for, but but it, I think it's just a byproduct of this this uh, this shallow class of quarterback prospects. It, most years, would Brian Bennett be dra- a draftable player? I'm not so sure. This year, probably. Um, uh, who else, Shane? Garrett Grayson from Colorado State. He had an injury. He's going to have to wait for his pro day to work out. Uh, who else stood out to you? Good, bad, otherwise? Uh, I, I still, I still think uh, a player like like Sean Mannion from uh, Oregon State flashes a little bit, and, and not that he's going to be a starter, but he, you know, he came in six five and five eighths, two hundred twenty nine pounds. Uh, he, he flashed the downfield army, overthrew a couple passes, which seems to be what sometimes his quarterbacks try to do when they're throwing the, the nine route. So. He, he he is what he is too. I don't know if, if it showed me anything I didn't already know, but um, he was probably one of the quarterbacks on my list. I, I felt through a, a, a prettier ball at the combine. All right, let's move on and talk about the running backs slash fullbacks. But I, I think it's safe to say we're going to keep our focus on the running backs at, at this position. And uh, <laughs> uh, of course. Todd Gurley, uh, the running back from Georgia, was not able to uh, do a full workout because of that knee injury. But he checked in at six foot and five eighths, two hundred twenty-two pounds. Uh, he did do seventeen reps on the bench press, and I, I think we should note, Shane, that Gurley. The, uh, uh, much was made about him refusing a, a full physical at the scouting combine on the advice of his surgeon, Dr. James Andrews. That's a pretty good guy to listen to, and it's not that he's trying to hide anything. He's just not prepared yet or he's not ready yet far long enough in his rehab to have doctors poking and prodding and pulling that knee in every direction he's already said he's going to be back in India a month from now for the rechecks and 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 they'll get a good look at him then but uh, I I think it was a a valid concern on his part Uh, I believe it was the Rutgers tight end Tyler Croft while they were checking out his ankle that he had injured they re-injured it and he wasn't able to work out so I can see why Gurley would have been cautious especially on the vice of of his doctor so I I think that was maybe a little bit overblown in the media and um, like I say it's not like he's trying to hide anything he's going to get checked out by the teams I don't know if he's going to eventually work out before the draft but uh, this isn't a situation where he's trying to hide anything. And I think it's just because he's high profile that this got a lot of play. This it isn't uncommon for a player to to ask to not have an, an injury, you know, torqued and, and tweaked and pulled by these doctors. And when you have a chance to go back to India in a couple of weeks and have it retested, uh, which is exactly what's going to happen with him. They just want to be a little further along in 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 your rehab before you actually have that medical examination happen. Because it isn't as – I think sometimes the misconception is that you sit in a medical room and it's one doctor that looks at you and goes through this. Now, every team has their doctors. So you literally have to sit there for uh, so what, could, what could be 25 to 30 teams that, that are twisting your, your torn ACL and your knee. I mean that's that that can have an impact, and and that's happened to Croft, and I think uh, I think I think it's smart to do if your surgeon says not to uh, not to have it done, then don't do it, and he he's going to have it done in a couple weeks. Well, with Gurley uh, kind of in the background a little bit, I think the star of the show was Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin, who checked in at the same height as Gurley, six foot and five eighths, uh, seven pounds lighter at two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, did two more reps on the bench press with 19, and he ran a 4.52. And I tend to think Shane for 
for, for maybe casual observers, that's, that's maybe viewed as a disappointing time. I don't know. I, I just tend to think that maybe if you, if you weren't really familiar with him, you see all the big plays, you think he's going to run a blazing fast 40 time. But I think high 4.4s, low 4.5s is right about where I expected Gordon to come in, especially at 215 pounds. I, I think that was a solid time for him. I, I don't think he did anything to, 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 to necessarily help, but certainly not hurt his stock either. And I think we'll be talking about it with a lot of these running backs, and a lot of them are better in that short space than that long speed. Melvin Gordon is is in that unit where, yeah, he's, he he actually isn't a four four flat guy on the field, but he's so good in short spaces and getting to the outside and eluding tacklers' quickness that it works. I think low four fives, high four fours is what his speed is. That's what he ran. So I'm pretty comfortable with that. And I have to say the one thing that I was looking for from Melvin Gordon that answered a question for me was him catching the football. And it's one of my favorite parts of the running back, uh, combine the running backs, is the pass-catching drills. I mean, last year we, we saw Andre Williams try to catch balls with his neck, for gosh sakes. I think we learned he can't catch the football. Well, when there's a lot of running backs that aren't used as pass-catchers in the NFL, Melvin Gordon in the college game, that uh, you want to use in the NFL as pass catchers, and Melvin Gordon was among them, and I thought he had a lot of success catching the ball, using his hands. He, he was stretching outwards. He didn't overly use his body. He seemed like a pretty natural pass catcher. So I, that kind of answered one of the big questions for me about him being a first-round pick is, is can he catch the football when he didn't have a huge statistical output in that category? I, I thought he did well with that. What about you, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, and like we always say, just because a guy didn't do something in college doesn't mean, necessarily mean he can't do it. It might just be a product of the system and, and he didn't get those opportunities. They don't use players at that position in that way. And I, I think that's the case with Melvin Gordon. It's not that he can't do it. It's just wasn't a part of the scheme there at Wisconsin. And we've seen that in the past. That's just not the, the, the type of offense they run. Now, one of the things we've talked about that I, I'm really intrigued by is the second tier of running backs. I just think there's a lot of competition for that spot between, I don't know, maybe five, six different guys. Uh, and, and unfortunately, Tevin Coleman from Indiana is still recovering from that foot injury, so he was not able to run, although he did come in at 5'11 and 3'8", 206 pounds, uh, and did 22 reps. Uh, I'm just going to list a few more uh, of the, the numbers from some of the big names here, Shane, and, and then we can get into it a little more. Jay Ajayi from Boise State, 5'11", 3 quarters, 221 pounds, 19 reps. Uh, TJ Yeldon from Alabama, 6'1 226 pounds, ran a 4'6", 1, did 22 reps. Duke Johnson, running back out of Miami, 5'9", and 8, a thick 207, ran a 4'5", 4, 4, uh, didn't do the bench press. Amir Abdullah from Nebraska, 5'8", and 3 quarters, 205 pounds, ran a 4'6", flat, did 24 reps. Uh, let's just jump into it, Shane. Do you have any more clarity on that second group of running backs? Did your opinion of one of those guys increase, decrease, uh, based on what they did at the scouting combine? Um, I, I guess we kind of have a consensus between Gurley and Gordon are the top two guys, but I think if you ask ten people who their number three is, you might get a half a dozen different answers. Uh, so who's your number three, and was that affected by the scouting combine? I wish I could say that this provided me with more clarity, and I feel – really good about about who I put as the number three running back to start off that tier. But right now, right now, my number three is Kevin Coleman. Uh, it was before the combine. And I think the combine, even though he did not run and could not work out because of the injury, I kind of helped him because this running back group in general was a little disappointing, especially when you're talking 40 times and running that long distance. We'll talk about the receivers in a little while who were super impressive. So I couldn't say it was an environmental factor when the running backs all ran a little bit slower than anticipated. And I felt like Kevin Coleman, I would hope, would do as good, if not better, than some of these players. So so him not working out kind of stuck up for me because the guys I was looking at, um, someone like Duke Johnson, I really wanted to see. You mentioned him. I really want to see what he would do. Now, coming in 207 pounds is a little bigger than I expected him to come in as. So when that happens, then and you have a guy who's known for being fast, then, hey, he, he better still come out and blaze fast. And I think a 4.54 is slow for him compared to, 
Tim Melvin Gordon, who's who's two fifteen, who's over six feet tall, and I think Duke Johnson, who also is built in that quickness. He's only five nine, which is fine for a running back. But I wanted to see him in the four fours. I wanted to see him blaze uh, when he claimed he's got him in the four threes. And then four five four just disappointing to me. I, I want to like this guy, and I still think he can be good in the right system in short space and uh, catching the ball, making guys miss. But I, I don't know if I can buy into Duke Johnson in that second tier. And I, I think it was very difficult for me to definitely say that I like him over Tevin Coleman, Jay Ajayi, TJ Yeldon, and David Johnson, who all are kind of in that tier for me. Uh, whereas, like, on the other side, I think David Johnson was super impressive. At 224 pounds, he ran a 4.5, and I thought he looked really impressive in the drills and very smooth and had good footwork. And and, and Duke Johnson just uh, didn't come away uh, feeling like, like this was the, the wowing athlete that he was supposed to be. Yeah, and I, I think it's still really tightly contested in that grouping. I don't know if anybody did enough to to separate themselves from the pack one way or the other. I, I'm a fan of Duke Johnson. Honestly, if, if I, my next rankings update, I'm kind of leaning towards having him as my number three. But honestly, I wouldn't fault somebody if they had him at seven. And, and, and it's, it's just kind of a, a case of beauty in the eye of the beholder, I think, and how you shuffle that second tier and what you're looking for. One thing I would point out though, I think people probably see the four, six Oh, for Amir Abdul and think that's bad. And you know, he's five, eight and three quarters, 205 pounds. But I mean, that's a classic case of a guy who's quicker than fast, who plays faster, however you want to term it. I think back to Andre Ellington, who ran, I think, a 4.61 when he was an indie. He's been fine in the league. So I'm not at all concerned about that 4.60 time from Amir Abdullah. Um, I, I still think uh, he's still firmly going to be in that day two mix. But uh, let's let's go down a little further down the board, maybe. Uh, one name I think we should talk about is Jeremy Langford from Michigan State, who really doesn't have a, a reputation as a, a, a maybe a, a physical specimen, but but came in at 5'11 and 5'8, 208 pounds. He ran a 4'4'2, which I I believe was at the fastest uh, 40 time for a running back at this year's scouting combine. So It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jeremy Langford. And then you factor in the production. I mean, this isn't this guy isn't just a workout warrior who's coming out of nowhere. He's run for almost 3,000 yards the past couple of seasons for Michigan State, 40 touchdowns. Uh, he can catch the ball in the backfield. Jeremy Langford, he, he might be an underrated prospect, even when you're getting down – probably into the third tier running backs when you're talking about Buck Allen from USC and Mike Davis from South Carolina, even David Johnson from Northern Iowa, uh, Langford might be underrated even within that, that tier of runners. I, I think I'm still underrating him. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to move him up after that. Um, I, I don't know if, if you would have asked me who, which running back was going to run the fastest 40 time. Give me, Give me 15 guesses. I don't know if Jeremy Langford would have would have been on right. my list. I, I just don't think I would have thought thought of him as this is the guy that's going to run the fastest 40 in this group. Uh, and uh, I, I not that he not that he's he's, he's bad. I don't think he plays at a 4-4. But hey, if he's if he's that fast with deep speed, and this is why you run the 40 time. This is why you have it. I know people want to want to poo poo these workouts a bit, but this is exactly why you have it is so you can see these players on an even playing field and see what that potential is. Langford can run a 4-4-2, and if you can get him to play up to that game speed, you toss in that production, you toss in the physicality between the tackles that he brings despite his size, he could be a pretty good running back. So I think you do have to move him up with this workout, and you feel good about what he possibly can do. He can catch the football, and he has that production in a tough rushing conference to boot. Uh, that, that's pretty good uh, when he's competing with a bunch of other Big Ten running backs that we've seen play in the, the same games as him. It seemed like he always got the short end of the stick, and maybe we're kind of passing him by. So I've moved him up and, and, and uh, to, to into my top uh, 13, and I don't even know if that's far enough. Well, and, and I, I think it's probably safe to say that of all the running backs that are kind of projected to go in, say, the top five rounds, Langford probably did the most to to help his stock or at least the perception of him uh, than anyone just because that, that kind of deviated from expectations. We, we kind of expected him to have average numbers and he was above average, well above average, the fastest 40 yard dash time for a runner. So that definitely stood out. Carlos Williams from Florida state, another guy who stood out physically six foot and three quarters, 230 pounds and ran a four, four, eight, which is really impressive for a guy that size. Now the trouble is he's not, 
quite as effective on the field. Uh, he's never really carried the load for the Seminoles and, and, and kind of lost carries as the season went along to a true freshman uh, in, in Tallahassee as a senior. So uh, an interesting guy, has some character issues too, some off-the-field stuff that, that teams are going to have to investigate. But, but physically, I think he's certainly going to be an intriguing guy on day three. Uh, who else do you want to talk about at running back, Shane? Uh, you know who else I kind of like? I'd like to get your thoughts on is, is Buck Allen from USC. Ran, ran a four-five-three at six feet and a half, two hundred and twenty-one pounds. Um, and, you know, so he ran what's the sixth best forty time among running backs. And, and I, I thought I was impressed with him in the drills. I, I thought he was a lot more fluid than I thought. He he had a ten-one broad jump, which was fifth among the running backs, and he seems to always be kind of towards the top and the top five or six in uh, every single workout that happened. He's another player I, I think he just kind of gets overlooked, declared early, and um, who, who really knows what, what all he can do, never seems to reach his potential at USC, but he's a, he's a big back that has some speed and has some pretty good feet and is pretty explosive. He's one of those late-round picks that I, I – there's a lot of these later-round running backs in this class. Him, a guy like Mike Davis from South Carolina, that, uh, the, the, you know, these guys that came out early definitely aren't highly touted that I like. I think are worth an intriguing upside type of swing. Uh, and we've seen running backs with big upside go late and, and have some success in the NFL. So I think Buck Allen's a player that I'm looking at uh, and I think the combine had me move him up a little bit with his potential. I really like Buck Allen as well. And it's just an example of the depth of this running back class. And what I like about Buck Allen, he's a big guy, obviously. He's 220 pounds. Uh, but I, I think he's a good athlete. He's shifty. I think he's deceptively quick and nifty. Runs a little tall, but... I mean, this is the argument that I make against running backs early. It's not that I don't like, say, J.J. Or, or, or Tevin or T.J. Yeldon, excuse me, but I'm not so sure I wouldn't rather wait two rounds and, and get Buck Allen from USC or Mike Davis from South Carolina or Jeremy Langford from Michigan State or David Johnson from Northern Iowa. I mean, are those guys that much worse than, say, Yeldon or Jai that – you wouldn't be comfortable taking them two rounds later. So that's kind of my argument with this class. I, I think I'd rather draft the eighth running back than the second or the third. I'd want to take advantage of that value. We had double-digit underclassmen come out at that position alone. So uh, I, I think Buck Allen is the perfect example of the depth of this running back class. Uh, I guess one more guy that I'd like to mention that I kind of like as a late-round sleeper is Michael Dyer from Louisville. Uh, of course, everybody remembers he started out uh, his college career at Auburn uh, before moving on due to some off-the-field character issues. Uh, but he came at a 5'8.5", 218 pounds, so really a, a thick, stout frame. Uh, did 26 reps on the bench press, real excellent strength. And Michael Dyer, I've seen him do play at a really high level against – the best of the best, and I, I kind of think he could be this year's Isaiah Crowell. Now, he's not even a lock to be drafted, and if he does get selected, it'll be in the late rounds, but if he goes into the right situation where he gets an opportunity, I think you could potentially get a starting running back in Michael Dyer in maybe the sixth or seventh round, so I, I guess that was one other guy I wanted to mention. Anybody else uh, you want to hit on, Shane, before we move on? No, I, th I think we hit on most of the guys that uh, that are at the top, and I think I think Dyer is intriguing, like Kroll, if if he goes late. But um, yeah, I think this is still a solid running back class, even with maybe the the forty times not being as fast as expected. Uh, the, this is a, this is a quicker than fast group, and, and they should have success in the NFL. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers, and there's a lot to talk about at this position. Uh, like last year, it's one of the, one of if not the strongest positions in this draft class, and. I think one of the most notable uh, uh, results to come out of this year's combine, regardless of position, was Kevin White of West Virginia running a 4-3-5 because speed was the one big question mark that people had on White. And, and I think that 40 time was going to go a long way towards determining whether he was going to be the first, second, or third wide receiver off the board. And that might be the difference between being maybe the number four overall pick or maybe being the, the 13th overall pick. So uh, Kevin White had, I think, a lot on the line when he lined up to run that 40-yard dash, and, and he answered those questions. To the point now, he might be the top guy at that position. Uh, I'm still kind of going back and forth between White and Cooper on my own board, to be honest, but I guess I'd almost lean a little more towards White now just because he's a little bit more of an imp uh, imposing physical specimen uh, than Cooper is. I think it's relatively close, and I wouldn't fault you for going with either of them, but I think Kevin White, at the very least, solidified himself, no question about it, 
in the top half of the first round. And, and like I said, I think he gave him a, gave himself a, a real strong chance to be the first player off the board at his position. So I don't know how many other guys that we can really uh, say that about coming out of the scouting combine. But for, in, that, in that instance, that 40-yard dash was very important for his draft stock. It was very important for his draft stock. It is a question. You don't look at him blaze away from from guys on in games or on film. I, I think Kevin White does a, a fair enough job at running running nine routes and getting down the field. But you know, I never felt like wow, well, this is a four three speed guy. He's just running past everyone. But now that you know that he can do that, and maybe in the way that he was used. At West Virginia, we didn't get to see that opportunity uh, or the way that the safeties moved over to his side. Now you can use that in the NFL. If you're a team that drafts him as, as your number one, you feel like you have that size, you have that speed, he could become a dominant player. And and it wasn't even just the 40 time. I mean, he tied for the top of the bench press with 23 reps among all wide receivers. He was in the top 10, I think, in every other drill, um, all the other major drills among wide receivers. He was right up there at, at his size in a lot of these receiver drills. And so I, I think Kevin White's phenomenal, and it, it makes – I think this this con, this combine for receivers was great. So it, it makes me feel like maybe this receiver group at the top, Cooper, uh, Mark Cooper, and Kevin White specifically, and and I tossed Devontae Parker in there. I thought had a pretty good combine too. Maybe they maybe they're a little bit better than 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 we thought going in. And and um, it, it's kind of funny because Kevin White doesn't have this this incredible four three five and this incredible combine. And I think we are talking about Amari Cooper and how well he. He did. Uh, he did very well too. So it's just a good group at the top. And White, if if I if I'm a team like the Oakland Raiders and I really want a receiver in the top five, it, it would be darn intriguing to to pass on to not take Kevin White. It'd be intriguing. You just have to look at that size speed ratio and the production this year. Yes, he only had one year of production, but uh, I think the combine proved just what his upside is. And now he's going to start drawing those comparisons to a Julio Jones and guys of that size and speed, and rightfully so. He fits that profile. So it's intriguing. I still have Mari Cooper at number one. I, I'd feel a little more comfortable taking him and, and know, know what, I'm going to, what I'm going to get. But there's no denying that Kevin White has more upside. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Well, and not only did Kevin White – run a 4-3-5, which I believe was tied for the third fastest time uh, amongst wideouts at, at this scouting combine, but he did it at 6-2-5 and five ace, 215 pounds, so uh, really impressive blend of size and speed, and it, you, you kept hearing Kevin White being compared to Larry Fitzgerald, but boy, I don't think Fitz could have run a 4-3-5 even on his best day, so uh, definitely opened eyes, but like you said, Amari Cooper from Alabama and, and uh, Devontae Parker from Louisville were no slouches in their own right. Amari Cooper ran, uh, came in at six foot and seven ace, 211 pounds, uh, which is up a little bit, I think, from uh, it, which is I think maybe a little thicker than I expected. Uh, I thought he looked maybe a little slimmer on film, but he ran a four four two. And then meanwhile, Devontae Parker, six two and five eighths, 209 pounds, so about the same size as Kevin White, ran a four four five in his own right, which is uh, more than adequate. So I think all three of those guys solidified themselves as the top tier of receivers in this class. Now, as it was with running back, I think the second tier of wide receiver is really interesting as well, Shane. And um, I think the most talented of, of the wideouts beyond those top three is probably Doriel Green Beckham from Oklahoma. And boy, I mean, all accounts are that he has matured and, and maybe is overcoming some of the problems that, that forced him out of Missouri. And I hope that's the case, but boy, physically, 6'5 and an eighth, 237 pounds. That's basically Calvin Johnson-esque size. He ran a 4'4'9". Uh, I, I mean, if, if we're just basing it on talent alone, Doriel Green-Beckham might be as good as any pass catcher in this class. It's just the off-the-field issues that are going to determine how early he comes off the board. And I kind of compare it to Janoris Jenkins, where a top-10 talent, but how far does he drop? Is it the middle of round one, late round one, early round two, late mid-round two? I think he comes off the board in the top 50 somewhere, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was 17. I wouldn't be surprised if it were 45. And 
anything in between. Uh, I think Doriel Green Beckham is probably one of the more, from my perspective at least, intriguing prospects in this class. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where he ends up on draft day because I just think his stock is is and will continue to be extremely fluid. It's a it's very much a, a case of buyer beware, but. Boy, I, I think the way he measured and tested, you're even more intrigued by that potential. There's no doubt from a, a pure physical specimen perspective, we just raved about Kevin White, but Doriel Green Beckham is 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 the guy in that. I mean, he is he's what three almost three inches taller. Uh, he's he's twenty pounds bigger and still ran a four four nine. He's such an intriguing physical specimen. He could be a dominant wide receiver at at the NFL level, and he just, it's all about the off-field concerns. And this is where the, his important part of the combine was not these workouts. It was sitting down with teams and answering those questions about his path and answering those questions about his maturity and off the field. Because there's a lot of teams, I think, that just – can't afford to take someone with with uh, the domestic violence history, uh, someone that has the off-field history that Dora Green Beckham has. And I, I always say with, with, with character-concerned players, uh, whether it's players that we have a documented history of and sometimes there's something you hear about but you don't have specifics, uh, we don't always know how far below the surface this goes. There might be more to it. Maybe there's not. So that's why it's so hard sitting sitting on the couch and watching these games and watching the combine to really know from a character perspective where teams are going to value players. As you said, Scott, he could go in the first round. If teams give him a clean bill off the field, he, he should be with the top three uh, when you discuss talent. Or he could go he could go even later. If but it only takes one team that's willing to overlook those issues. And even as more teams probably move towards trying to get a little bit more of character guys, take that chance. And at the combine, he was uh, he was downright phenomenal as well. So uh, I'm not taking anything away from his talents, but I I don't know if I would if I would take that chance in the top 50 myself. Well, a- another result uh, amongst the wideouts that really kind of jumped out to me was that of Arizona State wide receiver Jalen Strong, who came in at 6'2 and 3 eighths, 217 pounds, and ran a 4.44 and vertically 42 inches, which kind of makes you view him through a little bit of a different lens. I was expecting him to come in and be a mid-4.5 guy, kind of a possession receiver, but, I mean, he athletically, he dramatically, I think, outperformed formed expectations and honestly Jalen Strong is a guy that I'm going to go back and take another look at and see if I missed something on film because I didn't get the impression that he was quite this freakish of a physical specimen and and, and even thinking he was going to be a mid four five type I still had him as one of my top five receivers in this draft and I'm even more intrigued now after that impressive 40 time but uh but that definitely stood out to me Shane did, did you see that coming at all or did it shock you as much as it did me uh give me your thoughts on uh, on Strong it, it shocked me because I, I had just actually gone back before the combine uh, to watch a couple extra games of his. Arizona State seemed to be a, be a team I didn't watch much of, and I, I didn't come away super impressed. I didn't think he got much separation. I, I did love him going up a, to get the ball, which I think the vertical leap obviously suggests that he's great at high-pointing the football and that explosiveness kind of coming off the ground. But uh, the four 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 just just floored me because I, I definitely didn't see it. Uh, with him, and I, I think that's one of the things you have to you have to look at the combine and how how do I rectify that? He ran a four four four. He ran faster than a lot of guys that I would say play faster than him. Uh, but that that's upside. That's what he could be. And when you have a player that's that's this big that you view as a possession receiver, but has four four speed. Maybe you can turn that into something, and maybe he can be something. I think this this puts him squarely in the in the back end of the first round, and maybe could even go a little bit higher than that. When you have the production, you, you have the size, you have the athletic ability, you just got to find a way to get him to separate from NFL corners, and he could be a stud. Teams are going to love that. I think he's going to go pretty darn high. 
Well, a couple other players that we anticipated would, would work out well and did were Sammy Coates from Auburn, who came in at 6'1 and 3 eighths, 212 pounds, and ran a 4-4-3. And Devin Smith from Ohio State, who came in at 6'3", 196 pounds, and ran a 4-4-2. So it's kind of check-check, par for the course there, uh, kind of exactly what we expected. Uh, unfortunately, Brashad Perriman from Central Florida did not work out, so we're going to have to wait for his pro day to see how he does. But uh, he obviously has a lot of a buzz and momentum right now and is being talked about prominently uh, near the top, maybe even of that second tier of pass catchers. Uh, Philip Dorsett, uh, the speedy wideout from Miami, uh, did not run the fastest 40 time. I think he was probably the favorite going in. Uh, he ran a 4-3-3 at 5-9 and 3 quarters, 185 pounds. Uh, nothing to hang his head about, though. Uh, that, that's still plenty fast. And uh, the fastest time was actually run by Jamarcus Nelson, J.J. Nelson from uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, who unfortunately might be the last uh a guy from that program to come through the scouting combine since they're disbanding the football program. But uh, he ran a 4-2-8, but asterisk, only 156 pounds. So if you're 156 <laughs> pounds, you better be running Oof. really well or be a kicker. Uh, they are basically your options. So um, Philip Dorsett, like I said, nothing for him to hang his head about. Uh, how about Chris Conley from Georgia, Shane? 6-1 and 7 ace, 200, ran a 4-3-5, but I'm still not done. Then he went over to the vertical leap. And uh, he put on a show there, too, a little something around 45 inches. I mean, that's that's like NBA slam dunk champion caliber. I, I mean, th- th- this is what we talk about when you say a freakish blend of size, speed, and athleticism. This guy's 6'2", 213 pounds. He runs a 4'3", and vertical's 45 inches. I mean, and, and this is another case where he wasn't just a workout warrior. I mean, he's been relatively productive. I, I think he's led George in receiving the last two years, maybe, but 117 career catches for 2,000 uh, yards, uh, averaged over 16 yards a catch during his career, 20 touchdowns for his career. I mean, Chris Conley, I think he put himself in, in, in maybe even a new stratosphere. I think going into the scouting combine, he was kind of on that late-round fringe. Now, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he went in the middle rounds, would you? No, not not at all. And I think you see the, those big plays flash every once in a while for him, but that's that's definitely not the basis of his game. Has been productive, dealt with some shoulder injuries last year, um, but and, and he, has, he has some trouble catching the football. But with, with, with those numbers, and he, he, he led the, the wide receivers in broad jump at 11-7. I mean, every single drill, it seems like Chris Conley just topping the list and setting a new new number in these explosiveness drills and these speed drills. It's super impressive uh, of, of a workout player. So he's one of those, those guys that you look at as a coach. You see these numbers. You see some of the big plays on film. And you think, man, if I can get this guy on my team and I can just mold him into something, uh, the upside's through the roof. And, and and that's what pushes you in the middle rounds. Chris Conley profiles from a physical perspective as a starting NFL receiver, right? I mean, these numbers are better than most starting NFL receivers. So if you can mold him into becoming one, then you could get a steal in the mid-rounds. And that's, that's what's going to push a player like this up. Well, let's each bring up one more topic here before we move on, and I, I'll go first, and I'll give you a little time to think about who you want to talk about, but I just wanted to kind of highlight a, a group of, of somewhat similar players that are kind of jockeying for position in that second to third tier of wideouts and just pass along their results, and, and all of these results, are I got them up on the site at draftcountdown.com. You can check them out, but uh, kind of the smaller slot receivers maybe, uh, Justin Hardy from East Carolina was 5'10 and a quarter, 192 pounds. Ran a four five six, which wasn't a great time, but uh, there again, I think that's a case of uh, he plays faster than that and, and is more quick than fast, so I, I don't think that's an alarming result. Rashad Green from Florida State was five eleven and three eighths, one hundred eighty two pounds, ran a four five three. Nelson Aguilar from USC came in at six foot and eight hundred ninety eight pounds, ran a four four two. And Ty Montgomery from Stanford came in at five eleven and seven eighths, two hundred twenty one pounds. Ran a 4.55, and of those four, Shane, that's the one that kind of jumps out to me, simply because with Montgomery, so much of it is based on the physical tools and the potential, because the film 
is somewhat underwhelming. It's not like he was taking over games, and I thought we, we he was going to be somewhere in the four fours, maybe even the low four fours. So four five five, I don't know if that's great t- speed or uh, time for Ty Montgomery, and I, I think his stock is still trending downward, especially in in, in such a, a strong crop of wideouts. I think he's going to get leapfrogged, and, and as I said in the past, I won't be shocked if he slid into that third day. I, I think yeah, I think he goes in the third day now. It's just been kind of a nightmare of the season and off season for him between the Senior Bowl and I didn't think he looked very good at the combine at all. So you combine all those things, it becomes very easy to move him down your list and move guys that are working out better than him or looked better than him late in the season up. I'll I'll for mine I'll go with the guy at the top and I, cause I definitely want to get your thoughts. Uh, on Devin Funches from Michigan, who worked out with receivers in six four and a quarter, two hundred thirty two pounds, and he ran a four seven. Um, I know he he had he had said publicly his goal was was in the, those four fives. I I thought maybe he could be in the low four sixes. I thought a four seven was a little bit disappointing for him, and um, I thought he did well in the receiver drills though, especially catching the football. Big question mark with him. We dropped a lot of passes for Michigan this this season, but seemed to be really focusing on hand catching everything. And I thought his hand eye coordination was good. I thought his route running was pretty good. Um, but I you know I have trouble placing him. Like I I think Devin Funchess. Uh, with with that wide receiver tight end kind of hybrid, um, could go still go in the first round, or do you think this pushes him out of the first round spot? Uh, I have trouble kind of differentiating where where Devin Funchess is going to go, especially when players like Jalen Strong and Dorio Green Beckham uh, all have these impressive workouts. Well, and, and Funchess is a good guy to talk about as we transition from wide receiver to tight end because he's kind of being looked at at both positions. Like you said, he worked out with the wideouts. Uh, personally, I've had him as a tight end from day one, and, and running a four-seven flat just kind of pushes uh, or confirms my opinion. Uh, now, this this is an ongoing debate for us, Shane, and I know we're kind of uh, keeping a tally for how many people agree with us. But does this uh, change your your opinion on him at all? Does this push you a little more towards the wide or the tight end? end of the spectrum because like I said for me I viewed him as a tight end anyway so the 470 that that doesn't move the needle for me at all that's about what I expected from him but for I'm wondering I'm I'm more interested in for someone who viewed him as a wide receiver prospect what does that do to your view of Devin Funches well, I think even as a tight end I mean uh, two, uh 232 I don't think 47 is great but I, I I I'll go with where he worked out at the combine and I still feel like his his route running ability and quickness I still like as a receiver more but yeah it definitely gives you pause when you see that and you see every other receiver on the list uh, almost all of them in the four fours and the four fives and then he runs that four seven uh it becomes it becomes very tough to kind of uh buy into it but um, I think that's the problem with him is you just don't know where I, I don't I wouldn't feel comfortable sticking him in line and and pumping him there. But with four seven, is he gonna be able to separate from players? I think that that's a tough thing. But I, when I watch him, I still see I still thought him playing receiver this year for Michigan. He I, I, I thought he played really well, and I'm I'm still a big fan. I, I still have him in the top five of uh, of my wide receiver rankings. So we'll I guess we'll keep that debate until until the draft happens and see what the team drafts him ends up doing with him. But it, it, either way for him, it's going to be entitled. He's going he's going to be a pass catcher um, from either the receiver or tight end position. Well, and we won't spend too much talk, time talking about the tight end simply because I don't know that there's that much to talk about. I don't think there were too many standouts. Uh, I think the top two guys, Max Williams from Minnesota, Clive Walford from Miami, both did about what was expected. Uh, they both uh, Williams came in at 6'3 and 7'8", 249 pounds, ran a 4.78. Walford came in at 6'4, 251, ran a 4.79. Uh, I, I mean, basically identical. I think they did what they needed to do to kind of solidify themselves at the top of the that, that tight end class, depending on, upon, of course, where you view Funchess. Uh, so I, I don't think anybody on the positive end of the spectrum just blew us out of the water or dramatically improved their stock. I think there were some disappointments. Um, Nick O'Leary from Florida State uh, at 6'3 and a quarter, 252, only ran a 4'9'3, which I'm disappointed in because I'm a big fan of his, but once again, I just don't know how I'm cons- how concerned I am about that. I don't think his game was ever this uh, outstanding athleticism or, or or elite speed or stretching the field vertically. He's just a good, 
solid football player. So uh, to me, he's still in that, that late day two, early day three mix. Uh, Nick Boyle from Delaware, who was getting some top 100 consideration, I think, by some uh, following his performance at the Senior Bowl, came in at 6'4 268 pounds, only ran a 504, though. There was offensive linemen who ran better than that. Um, and that's kind of why I was always not nearly as high on Boyle as a lot of people, Shane. I just don't see a lot of upside there. I think he's a good backup tight end in the NFL, but um, I, I, that's not the type of player I want to invest a top 100 pick on. Uh, Gene Siffrin from UMass, the guy who was a little disappointed in, only ran 4.84. I thought he might do better than that. Uh, even though he did it at six five and a quarter, two hundred forty five pounds, but I'm not sure if that was the impressive workout he needed to overcome his lack of experience and his advanced age. So I was a little disappointed by that. Uh, the two fastest times at tight end were run by Michael Pruitt from Southern Illinois, who ran a four five eight, and Wes Saxton from South Alabama, who ran a a four six five. And once again, I don't think that's a surprise. That's the type of players those two are. Uh, any thoughts on any of those guys, Shane, or who else stood at you stood out to you at tight end? I'll toss out one more name that impressed me was Jesse James from Penn State, six seven, two hundred sixty one pounds, uh, w- w- one of the biggest, not the biggest tight end when you take height and weight into consideration. And he ran a four eight three, which is sounds on paper like a full four eight three, but when you're that big, two hundred sixty one pounds and six seven, I thought that was a pretty good time for him, and he showed up pretty well uh, in in some of the other drills. For for the tight end position, uh, showing that showing off that explosiveness. So I you know I I like him. I, I'm intrigued by Jesse James when you look at uh, who has the upside. He had, he had the longest broad jump of the tight ends at 10-1, um, and, and so he showed off that second and vertical leap, 37 and a half. So I, I'm impressed by him, and I think when you're if you're looking at maybe a guy that could develop into a dominant tight end, I think Jesse James is is on that list for me. And then. Just like the running backs, maybe the guys that didn't work out kind of helped themselves as others hurt themselves. Tyler Croft from Rutgers, we already talked about, had the issue with the doctors at the Combine and couldn't work out. And Jeff Hireman from from Ohio State um, didn't run and didn't didn't work out. So those two guys I still think are among the top five in that positional group and obviously didn't hurt themselves by not working out when you have someone like, like Nick Boyle and you have some other disappointing times up there. Well, last and certainly not least, let's talk about the offensive linemen, and, and we'll start with the top guy, Brandon Sheriff from Iowa, came in at six four and five eight, three hundred nineteen pounds, uh, ran a five point oh five, which I, I think there's a perception out there that he's maybe not that athletic, but Brandon Sheriff's a really good athlete. He moves pretty well, in addition to just being really physical and nasty. But I think the the thing everyone was waiting to see on him was the arm length because he is being considered as maybe a tackle or a guard. Thirty three and three eighths, which which isn't uh, maybe the best, but it, it's not awful either. It's, it's adequate. 11 inch hands. He did 23 reps. I, I think Sheriff uh, kind of solidified himself as one of the top blockers in this class. But I don't know, Shane. Is, is there another blocker that you think dramatically improved or hurt his stock? I I, I almost think at the the off of this year that it was almost par for the course with most of the guys, especially the top ones. Yeah, when you talk about the top ones, I think there's maybe someone that that second tier that impressed me, and I'm sure we'll get there. But in terms of the top guys, I thought everyone kind of did what I expected. Andres Peter Stanford, Alel Collins of, of LSU, uh, they talked about plenty on the broadcast. I, I thought I thought they did did well. Um, I thought they did fine. Like Eric Flowers of Miami, we talked about on the show a couple times, he struggled with his kick slide. Well, that's what he struggled with when, when you watch him. Like That's why most people have him as a right tackle. So I don't know if there's anyone that, that super impressed me at the top or did something that was really unique and stood out as, wow, i got to go back and watch this guy, or I think he can play a different position because of how he worked out at the combine. I thought all the top guys, no one severely disappointed, but I don't think anyone really exceeded expectations either. Well, I got to ask you about this, Shane, because when I think about the offensive linemen at the scouting combine this year, one of the first things that jumps to my mind is just the frame of Stanford offensive tackle Andrus Pete, uh, particularly his lower body. I mean, I don't know if you (laughs) noticed, but I mean, that was one of the thickest lower bodies I've ever seen on a blocker. And uh, he still has to fill out up top, but man, his legs and I mean, he's just a large large human being just just struck me as just a really unique body type from Andrews Pete almost unlike anything I've seen in my years of doing this just really stood out to me I don't know if if you noticed that as well 
Oh, look, if you watched the Combine and didn't notice that, I don't know what you, you – I mean, he, he has a funny-looking body. Not nothing against Andres Peak because he could, he could probably smash me into next week. But uh, he's um, – He's he's just just interesting of of a guy because he has that thick lower body. He has the huge anchor, the the huge bubble butt on him, and and he moves. He can move with it. Like that's the thing is you don't expect a guy that looks like that to move as well as he does. And I think that's why he's one of the top offensive tackles in this class. But when you know when you watch a guy in pads and you watch him with with the helmet on, you sometimes don't always get that. That that it is kind of a nice thing sometimes to watch, look at guys in shorts and really see how their body looks. And Pete, uh, Pete is in there. Yeah, and I certainly didn't mean it as a negative. I I view it as a positive because he's he's kind of a freakish physical specimen in that regard. Um, it, it, just a really unique, as I said. Uh, uh, somebody else who I think had a positive showing Jake Fisher from Oregon, who came in at six six and an eighth, three hundred six pounds, ran a five oh one, did twenty five reps, thirty three and three quarter inch arms. So. Uh, you know, Shane, he's kind of battling, I think, in that what, maybe second or third tier of offensive linemen, but I think he helped himself. And I think the, the $64,000 question with Fisher is left tackle, right tackle, offensive guard, where is he going to play? But I, I think he helped himself. And do you think maybe he, if, if he was in the third tier, do you think he maybe pushed himself into the second? I, I do. I think Jake Fisher probably helped himself as much as any offensive lineman from this combine. Very impressive, very fluid. The, the size looked good. Uh, I thought all the drills, he, he was among the best at them. And and I, I think he showed he could play left tackle in the NFL. Now, I don't know if that's his ideal position, and that's where you, you first want to, to play him. But I think he's a guy, if you need someone there, and he's fallen to you in that, that, that second day, you would take him. I think he pushed himself into the second tier to to get consideration, uh, even within that top fifty. So I, he turned me into a fan and another one of those players. I want to go back and really focus in on him when I watch Oregon's offense over Mark Mariota a little bit more. Uh, another player who was technically listed offensive tackle, but uh, I think that there's a consensus building around him being a center at the next level. That's where he played late in his senior year. Cameron Irving from Florida State. And, and I've been a big fan of his from day one, even when he was going through his struggles as a senior. I never hopped off the bandwagon. And it, it seems like it's been a roller coaster for him, but it seems like he's going uh, in, in the right direction again in terms of his draft stock. Six five and a half, three 313 pounds. He ran a five one five. Uh, 34 and eighth inch arms, 10 and three eighth inch hands, 30 reps on the bench press, basically check the boxes right across the board physically. And, and it's scary to think how good he could be uh, once he gets a little more experience in the pivot. And I, I think he has pouncy-esque potential. And I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't argue if somebody took him late in the first round. I think he's clearly the top center in this class. And uh, like I said, I'm a big fan and just basically confirmed uh, everything I thought about him with his, his, his showing in Indy. And I don't know if it's really that close uh, among top centers. I think Cameron Irving is by far the top center in this class, especially when you put that athletic profile into it and how much better that the the Florida State offensive line ran and offense ran when he moved to center. He's a natural at that position. So more experience with that athletic profile. I I would take him in the first round. I think we've seen how centers and even interior linemen can affect teams. So Cameron Irving's right there, and I, I think always a great point is he has played tackle. He has played guard. If you need it in a pinch, just like Mike Pouncey on the Dolphins this year, they, they had to move him uh, to guard with, with some of the injuries that they had. Cameron Irving can do it. I, I don't think it hurts you at all. Uh, let's talk about a couple of guys who have some positive momentum. DJ Humphreys from Florida came in at 6'5", and, and uh, more importantly, 307 pounds which was up from what they listed him in at college at 295. So he put on a dozen pounds, which, which helps his cause, because that was a concern that there was about him. Uh, did 26 reps on the bench press. And, and DJ Humphreys, there's, there's talk, Shane, maybe he could work his way into that back end of the first round, but I think he's right in that top 50 mix somewhere uh, at this point. And, and then how about Ali Marpet out of Hobart? Uh, the Division Three school uh, had a, a really eye-opening performance at the Senior Bowl at the end of January, and just continues to to gain momentum. Six three and seven eighths, three hundred seven pounds. Ran the best forty yard dash time for an offensive lineman with a four nine eight. So basically the same speed as Jameis Winston, even though he weighs an extra what seventy eighty pounds. Uh, did thirty reps on the bench press. Uh, Ali Marpet. 
Uh, he's emerged as one of the top small school prospects in this class and maybe even a contender for the top 100 overall. You think you think that's a possibility now, Shane? Because uh, I think before the Senior Bowl, we were talking maybe late rounder. After the Senior Bowl, we are talking mid-rounders. Are we talking potentially early rounds now, or is that going overboard? I think I'm maybe a little overboard. I think he could sneak into the back end of the top 100. I think fourth round is about appropriate. I think we'll hear Ali Marpet's name early in that third day when you, when you combine the, the athletic ability from the combine, show, showing that he can play with the big boys at the senior bowl. He, he really has checked a, a lot of those boxes uh, and the question marks. And the fact that he can play center, he can play guard, um, that, that's that's great too. So uh, a pulling guard like, like that – Awesome, and I think DJ Humphreys is super intriguing. He's definitely a good, a good protector, and and could be a future at that blindside position. Um, my big question for him was was the medical checkouts. I think that's gonna that's what's gonna determine his draft stock. And in knee injury, he had a high ankle sprain last year. He's had a lot of lower leg injuries. If he, if if that all checked out fine, then I think DJ Humphreys in the top fifty is a real possibility. So I'd say Marpet just outside the top hundred, and and I think Humphreys. Um, if if medical's good, I, I would I would could put him in the back end of the top fifty even. I think Lawrence Gibson for Virginia Tech opened some eyes with his blend of size and athleticism: six five and three quarters, three hundred five pounds, uh, thirty five and an eighth inch arms, ten and three eighths inch hands. Ran a five oh four, so a pretty a freakish physical specimen. I think he's going to be an interesting uh, option at tackle on day three. Uh, and looking a little more towards the interior, Shane, the guard centers. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, AJ Can from South Carolina came in at six two and three quarters. 313, but he did not run. Uh, to, to me, I guess one thing that stands out amongst the interior linemen, that guy that I want to mention is Jarvis Harrison from Texas A&M, who I'm a big fan of. This guy's 6'4 and 8, 330 pounds. He ran a 519. He did 26 reps. He had, oh, I think, just under a 30-inch vertical leap. I just think Jarvis Harrison is a heck of an athlete for a guy that size. I believe, I believe he can dunk a basketball, so just to put in perspective, at 330 pounds. I'm a big fan of Jarvis Harrison. I think he's an underrated prospect right now. I thought he had a good workout. Uh, anybody else you want to talk about, Shane, whether it be a tackle, guard, center, before we uh, close out and, and move on to the defense? Uh, no, I, I, I think as a whole, the offensive lineman did about what we expected them to do. Um, I'd say the only other kind of late-round guy that impressed me was, was Andrew Donnell from Iowa, uh, almost 6'6", 313 pounds. But he was one of the guys I consistently put a check mark next to when running the drills, doing some of the mirror drills and, and, and all that. He seemed to really run things very, very crisply and do well. And that's another part to take from this combine, too. Go back, watch some of these drills, and watch how some of these players doing those. Well, and, and one last offensive lineman I wanted to bring up quickly because we haven't talked about him, T.J. Clemens from Pittsburgh, who, of course, really shot up draft boards with a terrific senior campaign. Uh, and, and I think after the Senior Bowl where he struggled during the week, I, I think we were – pumping the brakes to a certain degree with T.J. Clemmings. How, how do you think he looked at the scouting combine? Do you think he reversed that momentum and it's trending in the right direction now? What are your thoughts on Clemmings and where he stands? I, I, I don't think he, he necessarily killed himself or did anything that I didn't expect, but uh, I think he kind of he kind of pumped the brakes on the momentum of just maybe how big his upside is. There is still a ways to go in his learning curve. Uh, that he with the experience at the, at the position, there's a way to go with the the learning curve with him. And I, I think he's got to pump the brakes and momentum a bit. I don't think he's going to go in the first round, but uh, I, I don't think he's he's going to challenge for that you know top 15 or top 20 spot, uh, a top 15 spot I should say in the top half at this point. All right, so that is going to conclude part one of our 2015 NFL Scouting Combine Review, uh, where we looked at the offense. Uh, be sure to check out part two, where we will focus on the defense, and there are a lot of storylines to cover on that side of the ball. So uh, thank, thank you to everyone, as always, for tuning in, and we will talk to you about the defense on the next episode. Take time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.